Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. At Theology in the Dirt, we strive to apply our theology in the public square of our homes, the city, and our world. And we are glad to come to you today from the worldwide headquarters of Global Impact International Restoration Rome here at 1400 Crane Street in Rome, Georgia. And we are glad to have you listening. If you know that song as the intro this morning, you also know Guardians of the Galaxy. That's fresh on my mind because last night we sat in front of television and watched Guardians of the Galaxy. Nice. And so I couldn't help but had to throw some red bone down this morning. I'd put our intro music up against just about anybody else's. That's just a good song anyway. It's awesome. Good movie. It is. It's a great movie, man. And uh, and so come and get your love. You can get your love right here at Theology <laughs> in the Dirt. <laughs> and so we're glad you guys are, are listening in, and we appreciate um, all of our listeners. And it's a joy to to come and do this, to try to wrestle through some stuff. And, uh, and so we're going to jump to our main topic here in just a few moments. But before we do that, we're going to jump in with a little bit of news. And so... Chris Hayes, is there a news story that caught your eye this week? There was nothing that was like just overly out there, but one that just kind of jumped out to me, and I don't think this is necessarily anything surprising, but um, I've been using the Axios website like you were talking about last week. Yeah. Because I, you know, I'm not a huge news. Like I don't like watch the news. Right. Um, uh, unless it's like sports related. I'm, I don't always follow all the headlines except for whatever's on Twitter. And usually that's not always the best stuff. So it was nice to have a new source to kind of just right. read through and, and see yeah. what's going on. And the one thing that just jumped out to me is um, there's an article here about midterm ads set to explode. And that's the, the title basically about the hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on political ads for this upcoming um, Senate election. Right. And anybody knows me knows I don't hold anything back when it comes to political ads. I can't stand them. I think, man, and, and look, I'm not usually one that's like, hey, you need people need to spend their money. You need, you know, billionaires need to end hunger and all these things. You know, Elon Musk made his money; he can spend it how he wants to. Just right. Bezos, Bezos, any of those guys, sure, it's not my place. But I think, man, number one, we're talking like 120 million dollars being spent probably over the next couple of months on opponent bashing. Propaganda. Right. I don't even know what else to call it because that's really what it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I'm gonna and and a lot of times they're just straight out lies. Other times they're large exaggerations. And I want to be very clear: this is not geared or bent towards one party. They're both guilty of it. Sure, because it's like let me try to make my opponent look as awful as possible. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're, absolutely. We're kind of in this world now, or anywhere where I just you know the word integrity just doesn't seem to be anywhere and politics are running and, and that's sad right um but that's kind of the expectation but i'm just you know i was just reading through like some of these numbers where like 28 million being spent in ohio <laughs> and like <laughs> oh, gosh. you know like oh my god um, maine and michigan are like right. second and eighth in spending on at midterm ads, ads. yeah wow um 125 million across 48 media markets and then um Democrats 128 million wow. in, in 50 markets and it's just like what mm. what if there was a candidate who was like you know what whatever the money I raise for my campaign what if we spent 50% of that even what if we spent 25% of that on actually helping the people that I'm promising in my ads that I'm going to help you know mm. I'm here for Georgians but I'm going to use all my campaign money to smear 
my counterpart. Right. And so, okay, and it's not like news. I don't think anybody's surprised by that. I'm not sharing anything that's mind-blowing, but it just, right. you start looking at those numbers and you start realizing all that money just being raised and spent just for TV commercials and radio commercials that are 98% negative. Right. And I'm just like, man. It's money spent on gaining and keeping power as opposed to yes. perhaps doing good. Right. But you want me to vote for you in trusting that you're going to right. follow through with all these promises you've made because you're looking out for my best interest. Right. That smells fishy, man. <laughs> and it's part of the – I try not to be super cynical. I try to be super positive. Uh, people probably listen to me go, really? <laughs> But uh, but it's stuff like that that uh, uh, makes you set up and, and start to wonder because that's a lot of money. And what would happen if those funds were used to do good as opposed to seeking a position of power? And again, public service is necessary. We need public servants. But the that kind of money spent on gaining office, mm-hmm. what if those people turned around and said, hey, look at what I do versus what I say. And here you go foster care adoption system. Yeah. Here's money to build out your program. Let's do that together. If I get elected, so what? There's something to do over here. Um, man, I just, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money. It is. And, and to be clear, like I realized these aren't, this is not like the candidates mm-hmm. fault. Right. I mean, they're not, they're complicit in it cause they are running for that party. Right. But I'm not trying to say they're the ones pulling all the strings, making all the decisions. Right. I get that. What's what they but, have to do to get elected. Correct. And then it's when they necessary. get elected, they are now represented right. by that party, and they have to go. So I'm just like, you know, yeah. What if, what if instead of spending all that money on a commercial, that's, you know, where you're just saying, okay, this guy hates education or or does bad by veterans. What if you donated that money to organizations that help right. veterans or right. that give teachers extra resource? You know, what I mean, it's yeah, like, absolutely. What if well, you said it shows you how shallow we are, and that it is very easy to buy into what we see and hear. I think it was uh, the uh, the election, uh, this was in the 60s, early 60s. Uh, oh, shoot. This just came to mind. I didn't plan this, but it was the uh, – there are studies that were done on uh, Richard Nixon running against um, uh, John F. Kennedy, JFK. And it was, it was one of the first televised presidential debates ever. And Nixon refused the makeup and, you know, all the stuff to – so that you look right on television and he had been sick. He'd had a cold. Kennedy uh, did the makeup and all that. And Nixon looked awful. Mm-hmm. On, and you can find these YouTube videos of that presidential debate. He looked terrible. And, right. and this stuff never been televised before, but all of a sudden it was visual. And one looked stronger than the other because one had been sick and didn't wear makeup in front of the camera. One did, and he knew how to play the image. And the image of JFK really won people over. So there's there's a history of the image really translating to substance and that may not necessarily be the case. And so now image is everything. If you can trash your opponent, mm-hmm. make yourself look big, that's, that's how you win. Right. Um, th- th- this for me is, is, a uh, this is the Axios also, but you can find there's several other articles. Um, the Atlantic, which I find interesting has been, advocating for the CDC almost from the beginning of the pandemic, but now the Atlantic is criticizing the CDC for amending some of its um, recommendations. 
in the headline article this morning or uh, from the other day, actually the 17th of August, is the CDC admits it failed to meet expectations in COVID response. And read the article. It doesn't go to a ton of detail. It just recognizes uh, that the CDC is admitting that it failed in some of what it did and what it said. And we dig into the content. Basically, what the CDC is recommending now is what many people started doing in June of 2020 when they just started banning people in social media like Alex Berenson, the New York Times, uh, uh, New York Times uh, writer, um, who just had questions. The dude was just asking questions, which is what journalists do. Twitter banned Alex Berenson, so he went to Substack and had a fake Alex Berenson account on Twitter so he could keep tweeting and putting people to his writing. Um, various doctors um, who would go on the Joe Rogan show, and then they were absolutely beat down mm-hmm. uh, for just asking questions. They're medical professionals. They're, they're medical doctors, and the CDC has come full circle, and without saying so, has advocated for those positions as doctors, and that the answers to their questions were more accurate and in line with what should have been done. And what I find interesting is that uh, – Common sense by just, you don't have to be a medical doctor. You just read. There are resources to read. People had some of this stuff figured out, and the CDC continued to push their narrative, Mm -hmm. which makes you wonder why. They're supposed to be the leading federal agency in regard to medicine. Why is it that they were censoring other doctors who are just asking questions because isn't part of doctoring asking good questions? And so I find it interesting that uh, your left-leaning organizations like the Atlantic are now criticizing the CDC when they used to pump up the CDC because the CDC has left their narrative. And so even in, in that, the fact that an organization is now against or pushing against an organization they used to prop up because they changed their narrative helps me to see that even in reading the news, you have to have a filter. Mm-hmm. Because the this story has changed. And so the CDC has changed its response, which is more in line with common sense, which a lot of people figured out again June of 2020. Yeah. And have been living in ever since. And, and a lot of those people lost jobs because they refused to go along with the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and but now the news is starting to catch up to what every human who was reading and trying to ask a critical question figured out a long time ago. And, and those people don't look so nuts anymore. No, and it's and it's sad because, like you said, it wasn't just that they were looked down upon for having these opinions. I mean, you had you had Facebook and other social media platforms, YouTube, that were shutting down videos of some of these doctors who were sharing. Number one, right. that's not okay because you should always be able to have opinions. But right. they were not just; they were clearly saying this is false that this is completely inaccurate. Right. When we, I'm like, well, what is accurate? Because you don't know. Right. Even, even the stuff you're set, that CDC and other people are saying, experts are saying, I mean, science is all about asking questions. It's all yes. about, you know, having, you know, you have a hypothesis and you go through the scientific method and you, you know, it, there's trial and error. You know, it'd be nice if they had said, look, this is what we believe is true. Right. But we encourage you to do your own research. And I get that's not how things work. And not to get all conspiracy theory, but I'm like, look, right. it's a surprise. A government agency is 
bending towards the will and the agenda of right. a political party right. that's well, in charge. What is crazy is conspiracy theory is a cheap way. What I mean by that is throwing the language conspiracy theory. Those two words, if you can throw those out in the airwaves toward your opponent or somebody you disagree with, mm-hmm. you instantly marginalize them and make them unimportant because because conspiracy theory, I mean, that's – because they're the nut jobs, right? It, it's the flat earth kind of people that the people like the ridiculous kind of stuff. And and what happens? So if you say Alex Berenson, conspiracy theorist, what you've just done is put him in a category with like legitimate nut jobs. Yeah. And so so nobody's actually listening to the logic and reason coming from somebody who's actually left leaning. I mean, it's not like the dude is a conservative. He's a New York Times guy. Yeah. He's not a Christian. He's not. Right wing, he's a Democrat, he's a liberal, and he's just asking questions. And dude got absolutely banned for asking questions. And I'm going, so if they're coming after liberal and conservative, somebody's on to something. And, it's, and, and so what used to be called conspiracy theory, the CDC has now advocated as policy. And I'm going, maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't yell conspiracy theory to what the powers that be says is conspiracy theory. Maybe we need to dig and ask some questions. Yeah. It's, it's sad how easy it is to rob credibility from people who should be looked at as credible. Right. And I mean, yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I don't think these guys, doctors are putting their necks on and their reputations on the line just because they want to be oppositional or because they want to, or because they're crazy or they're conspiracy theorists. Yeah. But that you're right. That's how they're viewed. And once that gets out, there's not a great number of the population that will take the time to actually research things. Yeah. It's, I heard this, this is fact. Yeah. That's where the power of soundbite is because by and large people don't read much anymore. And some of this stuff is technical. Like you have to dig a little bit. They're big, long words and, and big long sentences written by super intelligent medical people. And it's a little difficult to dig through, but if you'll take time to dig through it, <clears throat> you'll start to figure out that there's, man, there's some information there. And it's, it's Isaiah eight twelve where this, this scripture where Isaiah, the Lord speaks to Isaiah says, don't call everything a conspiracy that they say is a conspiracy. And when large, powerful agencies are calling critique of their position, conspiracy, Maybe we ought to step back and go, mm, that's a defense mechanism. I'm trying to marginalize a voice uh, that maybe ought to be heard. So now that the news um, has caught on to uh, some of what appears to be reality, maybe people can start to calm down from some of this mess. And what I find interesting is that we've kind of, man, we've been riding since June of 2020 like this wasn't a thing. Yeah. We all okay. Um. And that's not to minimize the impact it has had on on people because the impact has been real uh, in some circles, but it also hasn't been to the level that it was advertised either. Mm -hmm. And so just dig, man. Yeah. Just dig. Hot take. Context is important. (laughs) Context is important. That's free. Your free advice for today, people. Yes, it is. (laughs) Your free advice. And if you want to pay for it, you're welcome to um, go on to the old Venmo and send me some information. 
<laughs> we'll gladly, we'll gladly put that to, to good use. Well, we appreciate you guys listening to our news for the day. We're going to jump into our main segment. And today we're going to introduce something that Chris and I are going to be talking about for, for a little bit. Uh, don't know exactly how many weeks, but we're just kind of try to exhaust the topic. And, and it's really, um, emotional health and discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris and I both read a, read a book and, uh, I know Chris's wife, Brittany, I gave her this book to read sometime last year, I think. And, um, and she is our ministry director, kids ministry in our church. And, um, and I gave it to a lot of our ministry directors in our church to read, but it's uh, Pete Scazzaro. It's called uh, emotional, emotionally healthy discipleship. And so I've been on this journey of, um, personally working through emotional health, uh, particularly as a Christian working through a Christian worldview and, and, and applying emotional health to my own discipleship. And what I've discovered along the way is there are an absolute truckload of myths when it comes to the faith that we just adopt as um, fact. Mm-hmm. Statements that roll around in Christian folklore and they get repeated as though they came right out of the Bible. Yeah, and they're actually emotionally unhealthy, and so uh, what we're going to do to kind of introduce this whole idea of emotionally healthy discipleship is Chris and I are going to unpack today as our main topic some discipleship myths. So, Chris, I'll let you go first. Give me, uh, give me. Uh, we've both got a few, and so Chris, give me your first myth about emotional emotional health and discipleship. Uh, yeah, I've got several, so it's kind of hard to narrow it down because I think there's way too many there. But let me just kind of look at my list here. One that I will go with is working for God is the same as being with God. And I think that's been worded multiple different ways, so that may not be the exact words. But looking at in Matthew 7, 21 mm. through 23. Wait, you have Bible verse? Yeah, we're gonna, you won't do that here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at mine when I, I attach. Well, I attach one Bible verse to no, one mine. Like, you just out spiritualized me. That's pretty good, though. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to um, <laughs> follow the lead of my pastor. Um, so, um, That's awesome. But yeah, so Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the right. one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I've always, this this scripture has always scared the junk out of me, if I'm being honest, because I'm a natural, like, I just do and I want to, I got like, I enjoy serving and working. And I've, and I've fallen to this too. What happens is, when you spend too much time working for the Lord as opposed to being in communion and in relationship with him, and, and they can coexist, but I think oftentimes we tend to put the the onus on the work and the ministry. Right. That leads to burnout, and it definitely leads to unhealthy habits, unhealthy emotional, unhealthy spiritual development. It, it really hurts all these different things, and so... But that's the kind of thing. It's like, well, you, we've got to be working. We've got to be out there. You've got to be ministering. you got to, you know, there's this right. stigma of like, if you're not out there doing the work, either you're not spiritual enough or you're not working hard enough. And I imagine as a, as a, mm-hmm. especially for those who, ministers and those pastors who are paid, I see this, you know, I've seen it many times. It's so easy to get burned out because you feel like, well, I'm, this is my legit job too. Right. And so 
I can't just be sitting around. I, I, I can't have the perception that I'm just sitting around doing nothing. Right. And um, and so it's just it's it's dangerous. It is dangerous, and and it flies in the face of what the Bible calls Sabbath. Yeah. Right. Which is which is in, fulfilled in Christ, and not just a day of the week. It is an absolute daily lifestyle. It, it it isn't just oh take a day off. It is a daily moment by moment intentionality of resting in spiritually, but also physically stopping and and recognizing where no more labor is a help. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to by faith rest and trust, and 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 that's just unthinkable. Because that's not spiritual stopping. Because the perception is, oh, you're doing nothing. No, it's actually prayer and belief is active trust, right? Right. And and, and I, I'm on this journey of wrestling through. I have to be careful because people will hear this and think, oh, you've gone nut job, prosperity theology guy. But I'm not, not even there, not even close. Not close. But Jesus said stuff. And he said stuff like, if you believe, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you say that mountain be rooted and cast in the seed, it has to obey you. And he was asked, he was he said that in response to them asking about him cursing the fig tree and it uh, withering. Now, and Jesus talked about in prayer what prayer is for. So I totally get that. Prayer is not, man, God, just give me that F two fifty King Ranch. Like I'm just believing you for that's not what prayer is for. And that's not what faith is for. Yeah. Prayer and faith is to get done the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom of God. But there's a real tangible place for me to work and labor by believing. Yeah. And 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 here's where I, I, I have no five steps to doing that for anybody, but I'm trying to take serious what Jesus said. Jennifer and I are there are things we're trying to believe God for, like for our kids, for our, our life together and our family and our home, good things that are holy and I'm that are righteous, that are kingdom, but that are legitimate obstacles. And I'm and I'm going, well, what is my what is the place of stopping? not working anymore mm-hmm. and just believing. Yeah. I think one of the, the dangerous responses to a lot of this, and I've heard this come out of like pastors mouths before and leaders and speakers and all these different people is that, well, just, you know, you just got to trust in the Lord to sustain you. Well, yes, but that right. doesn't mean only get four hours of sleep at night, work seven days a week for right. 10 hour, 12 hours a day. Right. I'm like, I think that sustaining comes through obedience and yeah. he teaches us number one, Jesus very clearly says, cast your cares on me. Your anxiety is on me. Right. My, you know, yoke is easy. My burden is light. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't say my yoke is work 18, 20 hours a day and don't sleep. Yeah. I mean, we're commanded to rest. Right. We're commanded to, and I, and not to get, I don't think this is really getting off topic, but something one of the things you and Kayla talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about mental health, and I think mental health and emotional health and physical health all kind of tie in together. Right? Is there's this like stigma that, especially in the church, where mental and emotional health they're either not taken serious enough, or they're completely, or it's like a complete like taboo thing. Right? It, it's you know you rarely hear people going, you know what. I'm struggling. I need to take some time off or I need to refuel. I need to get some, right? Because it's just, 
it sounds like it's it just sounds like okay well he's he must not be in the word he must not be walking <laughs> with jesus if he needs right help yeah, and, just won't jesus sustain you well what if one of his means of sustaining is stopping yeah jesus told his disciples come over here and rest a little while yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's huge. So working for God versus being with God. Yeah. And I, I think it, I think you can't, it's hard to do really good work for the Lord if you're not resting in him. Yeah. And I've got some more on that topic later that I think will tie in with the rest of the topic, so I won't get yeah. too far ahead. No, but that, yeah, that's kind of my first one that really stuck out. That's good. Uh, here's one that people will hear on Sunday morning. If you live stream, you're going to hear it. And... Um, if you're there on Sunday, you're going to hear it. And I want to say it here. And it's, it's, uh, um, the misuse of Matthew five, 21 to 27 and the failure to connect verse 21 and 22 to verse 22 to 27 is the root of all manner of emotionally unhealthy discipleship activity. And one of those is if, if I have a problem with somebody, I need to go to them. Now, two things that is a mashup of two scriptures completely abused Mm -hmm. because there's some questions. What if the problem I have with that person is completely my wrong perception? And what if Chris, I don't like the way you look at me because I feel like you have a problem with me, the way you look at me. And I let that sit in my soul and turn into God. Chris has a problem with me. Chris is a mean person. And next thing you know, I have allowed that to boil over into this festering thing. And I think the Bible says I should just go to Chris because, you know, here it says if you have a problem with your brother, go be reconciled to him. Completely missing verse 21 and 22 that tells you who the you is in verse 23, the Y-O-U you. Yeah. It's not just a general you. It's not just a, well, who's the you? Well, the you is the person in verse 21 and 22 who's murdered with their words. Not me because I have turned this thing into a festering bitterness issue because of the way Chris looks at me. And so I come to you and I tell you, I have this problem with you because you look at me funny and, and you're going like, I had absolutely no clue. And, and, and now you're wondering like, is there a problem with me? Do I look at other people funny? Mm -hmm. And who else has a problem with me? What I've just done using the Bible is wound you hurt you, make you now suspicious of how other people view you, and done that because I'm so emotionally immature that I can't handle on the inside of me between me and the Lord how I perceive somebody else. Mm. That's called emotional immaturity with a Christian T-shirt on top of it, abusing Matthew 18 and Matthew 5, 21 to 27. And not only have I done my soul harm by not growing up emotionally, and learning, learning to walk with the Lord and let the Lord correct my perception of things, let the Holy Spirit speak to me and actually read the Bible and see what it says versus what I think it ought to say, I've now hurt you and made you suspicious and wounded our relationship because I've bought this idea that if i got a problem, I should go to them. No. If I have a problem, sometimes I need to take it to the Lord and recognize I'm emotionally immature and I don't want to hurt another person because I'm being a child. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing in the Bible that says that, but we take two scriptures, mash them up, and abuse them and turn them into something not at all. And what I've done is practiced a discipleship activity as a discipleship activity that's actually a worldly, satanic means of hurting another person. That's going to make people mad, probably, 
but it's a reality. The text yeah. nowhere in the Bible says that, but that's Christian pop culture at its finest. That's Christian hearsay. Yeah, it's that defense mechanism we put up sometime like somebody says something and we only take we just take it negatively or or, or like you said, somebody looking at you something that's like, Well, I gotta get defensive because I feel like you're 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 coming at me. And now right. what I've done is instead of taking time to process that and to and again it comes back to that word context of right. understanding all the relating um situation, the circumstances around that, <clears throat> I've gone from defense to offense and now it's like I'm going to, I'm reactive. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to take, you've hurt me or yeah. you've, you've offended me. And now it's my job because the scripture says I got to make this right. <laughs> yeah. And it's a pride issue. It's, it's really what issue. it is. And the fact is there's nothing to make right. Right. What's to be made right is repenting before the Lord for having a poor perception and emotionally immature enough to not recognize Chris is trying to solve a problem right now. He's working and I am receiving his work for something as as a slight toward me that's it that's a me problem not a you problem right and i need the lord to correct me and i need to repent of my sin and not to you i never need to wound your conscience by telling you that i take that to the lord and trust him and this is where trust comes in lord you're big enough to see my faults and my repentance before you is what's necessary and so that's emotional big boy and big girl that's and and but the the other way that I introduced that is emotionally unhealthy discipleship, and it hurts and wounds, and we all do it in the name of being Christian. Yeah, I think to take it a step forward, and, and I think it's a good example because you and I have known each other for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And so let's say that I did say something or do something that really was out of line or offensive. Emotionally healthy discipleship from that point would be not coming to me to make me right at first, that might be necessary because I might have really said something out of line. Right. But I feel like because you know me and you know, okay, this is this is out of Chris's character to do. Right. Something must be wrong or up. Mm-hmm. Let me seek to find out the reasoning behind right. that. Yeah. And we let don't it, do that. Just let it slide because there's no mandate for me to do that. Like if right. something's wrong, actually what I might might need to do is like, hey, brother, you okay? Yeah. Man, how can I help you? As opposed to like, hey, man, why'd you hurt me? <laughs> it's, right. It's like, that's out of character. Something's up. Just let it go, dude. Let the man alone. Leave him Give him some space to breathe because we're all human. And and there's no mandate. I even address it. It's might just need to be. I back up and, and, and let and let folks relax a little bit, you know, because yeah. we all have days when we're working. It's like, I'm, I'm not happy. Life's hard. Right. And sometimes to bring stuff up hurts, and that's where discernment's necessary. Yeah. It's like, Lord, can I serve and help my brother and my sister in some way? How can I help and be a difference maker for them? That's loving somebody as right. opposed to, because the other thing is selfish. It's the epitome of selfishness disguised as discipleship, and it's, mm. it's just wrong. Yeah. And it's misusing the Bible. We can't say the Bible says that because it doesn't. No. All right. We, I could get, dude, I, I've got four of those. Like the intro is what does this not say? And I've got four of what it does not say. And I'm not going to do those. I, I just snuck one out of there as my myth. So give me another myth, man. I'm going to combine two of mine because I think they kind of go together. Um, the past doesn't impact the present. And 
it's all about the other person. So I can just deny my past and my own sin issues and focus on someone else. I think a lot of times discipleship, we feel like, well, if I'm intentionally working with this person, oftentimes it's a younger person, then my own issues don't really matter. Or I can just shrug them under the rug. And the truth is it's nearly impossible to be a, effective discipler or an effective minister if you got your if you haven't dealt with your own junk in your own past boy dude you're throwing some tbri out there <laughs> now trust-based relationship subtle huh yeah you know but it's but that's true though like it's i just I, and i'm been guilty of that myself i, I yeah. mean i don't have a lot of undealt with trauma or past trauma but i'm certainly not without it yeah and and they're mm. varying levels of, of trauma sometimes they affect us in smaller ways yeah until it becomes a big thing yep and it becomes a big thing because we haven't dealt with it when it was small yep that that, that that's an issue in in my marriage uh we we have to cycle through that every time we have a conflict past trauma as a child resurfaces its head and it took us we're gonna see we just celebrated 23 years it took us 20 years to discover where that cycle, that downward swirl begins to happen. And it's past. It's not the present. It's not my wife. It's me. And it's that stuff on the inside. And so it does, man. Absolutely. Your past affects what you're doing right now. And if you can't, if we don't come to terms with those emotional things and, and dig them out, scrub them clean, we have a tendency to view everybody in front of us wrong and we put on them yeah guilt or um blame in the moment for something that's going off in me that they had absolutely nothing to do with yeah i the past can be a very effective and positive tool if used correctly right it can also be a very dangerous weapon if not dealt with right um i kind of wrote a little note as i was thinking I, being emotionally unhealthy is similar to being intoxicated. Mm. Leading someone when un- unhealthy is like driving under the influence. Uh, perhaps you might get to the destination. Okay. You might be able to help a person get to where they need to go, but your awareness is limited and you're not only putting your own well being at risk, but others at risk. Mm. And if we don't deal with that, if we don't take time to, to number one, have the awareness to realize I've got some hurts and I've got some unhealthy habits that have to be dealt with. And someone you're investing in, if you have that good relationship, they're going to understand that. Mm. And you're going to be a lot more effective if you take time to deal with that than you are if you just say, well, (laughs) I've only had two beers, so I'll be fine. (laughs) As opposed, (laughs) opposed to saying, let me, how about we meet tomorrow when I've had a chance to, get that out of my system man that's that's huge that's massive um that that uh that attachment style and i know that's i do think we need to do some tbri stuff on here and yeah and i've got my wife and a couple other people when they get a moment they're they want to come in and talk trauma and and attachment and 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 how that that works but um you're right you're right everything it, inebriation is a good example of what it's like to be operating at an emotionally low level and unaware of our past and 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 not able to deal with that's that's huge because you can still function yeah and you can still appear as if you're not 
Right. Under the influence. And again, I'm not talking about slap drunk. Right. No, absolutely. That's when just impaired. Yes. Just impaired. And that's exactly right. Emotional impairment is a reality. Mm-hmm. And it it's a it's remember in high school they had us put the drunk glasses on <laughs> and try to walk around and do stuff. Remember that? Yeah. Remember talking about, you know, don't drink and drive and put the drunk glasses on. It's uh, being emotionally impaired truly is like having some impairment glasses on like emotionally it's hard to read other people read their intentions because we filter them through those things that are sitting deep that we're completely unaware of that they're sitting on our emotional filter and lens and that's that's a huge huge deal Chris. Think, think about how many times a drunk driver has been in an accident and how often that drunk driver is completely fine but someone else has lost their life or had a significant injury and I think that's what we've got to process is, right. again, well, you might be driving the car fine, but if your awareness and your perception of things around you is limited, right. it's like, you know, look, I can't see without my contacts. So if I try driving around without my contacts in, mm. it's dangerous. Mm. And it's dangerous for myself, but it's dangerous for other people who are doing nothing wrong. And if we're emotionally unhealthy while trying to to operate normally, right. the the chances we may not even hurt ourselves, but we're going to hurt someone else. Mm. And then we have to live with hurting someone else, which is much more dangerous long-term. And it's, it's hard to recover from that. It is because that's, you can't, that. you can't rewind. Yeah. I wonder how many wounds have been given out um, in our relationships because of our past, putting the blinders over our immediate present and being able to emotionally catch what's going on these proverbs 20 27 in the esv says the spirit of man is the lamp of the lord and he searches all of his innermost parts and part of good christian discipleship is being aware of our emotional state how it got to how it is what has affected it and influenced it and operating out of healing and and wholeness in the present and and the past affects everything mm. and and the part of the holy spirit's task is to lead us into truth yeah uh and to produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and 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 those are possible even with past hurts he can heal those and 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 even better because of our awareness in the present of them help other people with that right and one quick little last thing on that i want to be clear you, you don't have to have 100 percent healing and moved on from past hurts mm. to be effective in ministry or effective in discipleship i want to make that absolutely clear it's not about fully recovering from that because your past hurts are always going to have an effect there's going to be things that trigger you yeah. along the way it, it's a it's about that awareness yep. it's about knowing when when am i having to deal with those yep. you know and it take Yep. You, loss of a loved one, for example, like when the, that person's birthday or the anniversary of their death comes up, like we're human. You're, there's going to be, and there's going to be things, a certain song that comes on or right. you're watching their favorite team play yeah. that are going to bring up those hurts and those reminders. Yeah. Someone who's emotionally healthy doesn't recognize those and they try to continue as normal without processing them. Someone who's healthy realizes okay, this is, this is hurt and yep. it's okay that I'm dealing with it. It's okay. Yep. But I have 
created the positive, appropriate coping skills to still continue to function because I'm aware of it. I'm aware of how it affects me. I'm aware of how it affects me towards other people. That's right. And then I can cope with that and I can make the right decisions to move forward. Failing to recognize it and cope with it is the, what I said last year when I crashed um, through good counseling, uh, good therapy. Um, This is my language. I stuffed it down. Not being able to cope, not recognizing, not processing, not acknowledging, not naming, and and experiencing, and letting yourself experience it, uh, stores it for later manifestation. Like There's no such thing as emotion. It doesn't go away. You either process it and place it in the right place, and it's a healthy thing, or you stuff it down. And as the book title says, the body keeps the score, and those bad boys are going to come out unhealthily at that point. There's no healthy way to get rid of that um, once you've stuffed it down. It's just going to be painful. Now, that's healthy to go through the pain, but there's a healthy way to process it when it happens, and the failure to deal with our past will cause pain in the future. 100%. And and so, yeah, being being aware of that. And God's emotional being, God feels... God gets angry. God, God, God feels the whole spectrum of emotions, and He gave them to us as part of our in His image. And God is sad. There are times God is grieved, and when we can recognize that, that's part of tapping into what it means to be created in the image of God, and and processing those with Him and with other image bearers is awesome. It can be painful, but it's good. It's healthy. It's how we grow together, but it's also how we grow emotionally. Man, that's good. We could go down the rabbit hole, yeah. Because and, and we we probably will at some point. So, um, I'm going to give you just one more because, gosh, we're going to run short on time, and we can come back and visit all of these. Like we said, that there's more here mm-hmm. than we'll be able to do, and that's why we're going to do this for several weeks. But um, this one is a um, this one is 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 an emotionally unhealthy mentality, and that is uh, success is God's standard of acceptance. So we strive for success. Um, And the reality is success is never a value of God's. So we have a tendency to adopt success as God's standard and God's value. And we adopt that, we baptize that, and and then we use the wrong metrics. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you got to have, how are you measuring what a win is? What a, I'm going to use the language, what a success is. Yeah. And the Bible never uses that language. God never has that value. But we baptize it with Christianese, and we put, it, I like to say, a Christian T-shirt on success. And God never tells us to be successful. God's all through the Bible. God emphasizes two things. Hear the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord. And so the question isn't so much success, but how you define it. And success isn't necessarily nu- numerical increase. Um, sometimes success could be numerical decrease. What God measures is obedience. And so spiritual unhealth can be um, fed. The cancer of unhealth can be fed with the wrong view of what success is. I've been getting the place I hate the word. Um, I like the word win. What's a win? It might not be what our world defines as success. Because even in the Christian world, 
Like if you're not increasing, if everything isn't going up in some manner, numerical or whatever, it's viewed as a loss. And all through the Bible, I think Gideon, God subtracted and that was a win. No, Gideon, if you win with 10,000 people, it's going to look like you did it. So go down there and everybody who drinks water like a dog, those are my guys. And he's down to th- just just 300, right? Just right. a few hundred folks. Did I get that number right? I think it's 300. Like something. Yes, 300. No, 300 the movie. Like all of a sudden I'm blanking. Like I've read through this story a hundred times. It's like 300. Not, not the same story. <laughs> not the same story. And not at I me. Mean, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen 300, I'm not going to say go repent and watch that movie. But if you're a dude, you need to go watch the movie. Anyway, so God whittles that number down to a place that it can't be evident it was Gideon. It had to be the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so the win for Gideon was to lose force, but to gain his faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. And so emotional unhealth looks like a wrong definition of what a win success is. Yeah, I'm smiling because one of the only things I wrote down as my miss was success equals conversion and attendance numbers going up. And there are a lot of what I like to call DJ Khaled Christians. All I do is win. And it's I've never seen a church tweet out or put a picture of, we didn't baptize anyone this year. Right. Or no one got saved. Right. But but that doesn't mean you're being ineffective. Right. Um Real quick, because I, I haven't had a chance to read the book fully because it's still yeah. new, but I was kind of perusing it, and I pulled out something that I, that I think fits with this, um, where he talks about rejecting worldly discipleship and embrace Jesus' discipleship. And he's got these two, these two columns. World's discipleship says be popular. Jesus' discipleship says reject popularity. Mm. The world's discipleship says be great. Jesus' discipleship, reject greatness-ism. Mm. World's discipleship, be successful. Jesus' discipleship, reject successism. And then finally, world's discipleship, avoid suffering and failure. Mm. Jesus' discipleship, embrace suffering and failure. Um, Mark eight thirty four. and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right. That's what it means mm. to be a follower and to be a disciple. It's, right. it's anti-winning. Yeah. Because... You, that's that's his. He says the victory is his. Yeah, that's um, right. That's but, right. All that, and so I just I, I think that was a, I love that parallel in there because I think that's the world teaches us to be popular, be great, to be successful, but man, we don't know what those terms mean because we define them as the world defines them. That's right. That's not how Jesus defines them. You could be losing people left and right in your church. You could be have no one on your new members class or your baptism right. class but be obedient and growing and, and be successful. Yep. And there are many churches that are seeing their numbers increase tremendously Right. that are yeah. disobedient. That's right. There are faithful brothers in this town who have been at their post for a decade or more, and you don't know their name. Their numbers don't look awesome, um, but they're a decade in, some 20 years in. And they're faithful. They preach God's word. They pray. They take the supper. And they worship the Lord in song. And then they do their annual church profile for our denomination. How many baptisms? They don't get recognized on the stage. Nobody calls their name out. 
but they've been there and they've been faithful and they're faithful to God's word. Uh, they deal with sin and nobody knows their name. But what I can say confidently, I think, from God's word is it is written down. God knows. Yeah. And on that day, he will tell them well done. Because some of those names that get called out are there for two or three years. And, man, they're good marketers and they're good talkers. And people come and they, <laughs> I'm going to make people mad, they baptize infants as believer baptism. <laughs> Right. They baptize little babies, man, because they raised their hand at some event and have no clue whether they're really a follower of the Lord. They claim to be credo Baptist, but they're really baptizing children who have no clue. And those numbers look good, and they get their name called out from the stage, but they're gone in two and three and four years and move on to the next biggest gig. And I'm going, is that really success? And I don't know. I don't think so. And I think that unnamed brother who's just getting after it, Faithful and handling his emotional business and dealing with his soul, loving his family, loves his wife, raising his kids, sending his kids off. Nobody knows his name. And I'm going, that is success because yeah. God knows. When we get to heaven, I don't see the Lord going, okay, give me your sports center top 10. You know, like, <laughs> so, what, what are your accolades? Why do right. you, I think it's, it's like, yeah. you know, did you, did you obey me? Did you follow me? Yeah. Did you represent me well? That's right. Did you love others? Yeah, we're not in this college recruiting world that we're in right now with our last kid. There's no D1 school going, man, how's your character? Man, how many times you tell the truth? We got a truth meter. How many times you do what's right? We got a do what's right meter. No, there's what's that for? What's that 40? What's that vertical? What's that shuttle? How many receptions do you have? How many tackles do you have? It's it's all about increasing numbers, and it's not wrong. I, mean, they, I get that. It is what it is. But it, we can't take those values and those metrics and superimpose them on the kingdom of God as though that's what God measures because he just doesn't. Yeah. He just doesn't. Um, Chris, give you, a, give you a final word, and then we'll, uh, we'll run on about the day. Sounds good. I, this, this just has hit me this week and recently, and I just I think it's crucial and don't get mad. I got another Bible verse. Bring uh, it. So here's the statement. If we are not abiding in Christ, we cannot make disciples. Uh, John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And I think the emotionally healthy discipleship is rooted in being and abiding in Christ. Yeah. And then living that out and teaching others how to. That's right. Mm. And I don't think, and that's, it goes back to my, when I said earlier, I had another point with what I was talking about with working for the Lord as opposed to being right. with the Lord. Right. It, when those are backwards, you, you're not going to be able to bear much fruit. Boy, that's right. I, I think uh, I, I think that's 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 solid. I, um, burning out for the Lord is there's no honor in that, and there's no reward in heaven for that. But being healthy and able to be long term because we followed the scriptures, is because we abide. God produces the fruit, and sometimes that fruit is health. You're just healthy, and the people around you are healthy. What what about that isn't fruitful, right? And so, man, that's a good last word. Guys, there's more to come. And I hope that this um, 
in a positive way uh, motivates you to dig into your soul and to ask some emotionally healthy, um, some emotional health questions. I hope maybe we have spurred a thought. Maybe the Holy Spirit will take a part of this conversation and um, cause you to go to the manual, the word, and find his word uh, to be abundant food for your soul. And there you'll find instruction in what God values. And hopefully in that, uh, you can get on a more healthy journey. Maybe you're already spiritually and emotionally healthy and and walking in that. And we say, amen, keep doing it. And maybe you're struggling. Uh, and this has opened your eyes. I just want to encourage you, if you want to go get a good read, it's called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro. It'll be worth your time. We're going to be unpacking some of that content and hopefully help ourselves, help our listeners, and help our church grow uh, in abiding for their emotional, spiritual, and physical health. We appreciate you guys for listening. We hope you have an absolutely great day. We'll see you next time. Out.